So last week, we began to look at one of my favorite books in the New Testament, the book of Philippians. As you may recall, this is not exactly a book, but is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the members of a small church in Philippi, a Roman colony in the Greek province of Macedonia. After Paul founded a church, he often kept in touch with those churches via letters, and we are blessed to have several of these documents in our New Testament. However, Philippians is unique in that it was written while Paul was in prison, under threat of execution. Now, you might expect that a letter like that would be very serious and very somber, but this letter is filled with words of hope and gratitude and joy a testimony both to Paul's great faith in Christ and to his deep affection for this particular congregation. His purpose in writing to them is threefold. First, to thank them for their support. Secondly, to bring them up to date on his situation. And thirdly, to urge them, to urge them to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, a thought that he will flesh out in the rest of the letter. Our scripture reading this morning begins exactly where we left off last week. And if you didn't read it, that's fine. You can pick up that pew Bible. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask all of you to take a pew Bible out and turn to 197. Mike's going to start reading right at the beginning of chapter 2, and I think it would be helpful if you read along with him. So it's 197 in the New Testament. So it's in the back. Okay, and just follow along while he reads. And if you want, just keep, the, keep that open. Paul gets a little convoluted sometimes, so it's good to, to have him to read along. So let's, let's, let's read this, look at this together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Are you starting at, excuse you. me, are you starting at chapter 2? Oh, got flipped. Well, you could start at one. You can read that whole thing thing. if you want, but we'd be here a little longer. So two? Sorry. That works. (laughs) If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. The verse, verse 5 of this chapter begins, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Do the words that follow sound familiar? Some of them should, I think, because we often hear them on Palm Sunday for this, this section, this beautiful, these beautiful poetry encapsulates both the depth and the height of Holy Week. And we don't know if Paul actually wrote the words that follow verse 5 or if he's quoting an early Christian hymn, but either way, the words that form the heart of this passage make up one of the most powerful and beautiful expressions of the work of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. Unfortunately, that means that we often hear this passage out of context, a context that is perhaps as important to us as it was to the church in Philippi. Remember that Paul has written to the Philippians in order to encourage them to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now he begins to explain what that means, and his first concern is for the unity of their life together. Chapter 2 begins, if then there is, in our Bibles, but a better translation would be, since there is. Since there is encouragement in Christ, consolation from love, sharing in the spirit, compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, he writes. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. All this you have received from Christ, he tells the Philippians. Now be who you already are. Be of the same mind. We don't know what has prompted this plea, but Paul clearly feels that some kind of division has occurred. Now, this isn't unusual. Most churches, even ours, experiencing experience disunity at one point or another, and sometimes those disagreements can get pretty heated. Um, in a sermon on this passage, United Methodist Bishop William Willimon tells about his very first church, and he writes, I was a student at Emory at the time. I drove out to the church on Saturday to meet with the lay leader. He met me at the one little, little one-room church, then named Friendship Methodist Church. That's a misnomer if there ever was one. I got there before my host, so I thought I'd go into the church and look around. But I was surprised by a big padlock and chain barring the front door. When the lay leader arrived, I said, glad you're here to open the lock on the door. Oh, that ain't our lock, the sheriff put, the sheriff put that there, explained the lay leader. Things got rough here at the meeting last month. Folks started yelling at one another, carting off furniture they had given to the church. So I called the sheriff, and he came out here and put that lock on the door until the new preacher could come and settle him down. I gulped. My first church? Oh, I don't think there's any locks on our door, right? <laughs> and I doubt very much that Philippians was experienced something quite as drastic as that. Clearly, though, Paul has some reason for concern, and he encourages the Philippians to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, Paul's not saying that the Philippians should gloss over disagreements and play nice. He's not saying that they should shun those who disagree, for near the end of the letter, he will charge one of his companions to help two women in the church to get along. 
Nor is he warning the Philippians that if they don't start getting along with each other, other people won't be members or they won't make the budget. No, that's not what he's saying. He is saying, in the words of Bishop Williman, you're Christians. Be united to one another in the same way that Christ is united with you. Be of the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, adopt the same attitude toward each other, as Christ has toward you. Let me be clear here. Paul is not suggesting that we debase or demean ourselves or that we think of ourselves as insignificant or that we let others walk all over us. Certainly he didn't do that. Rather, he is telling the Philippians and us to emulate Christ. Empty yourselves of pride or of status or rank. Pour out your hunger for power and your need to be right. Let go of your desire for prestige and the esteem of others. All those things are contrary to the spirit of Christ and harmful to the unity of Christ's body. Let your primary concern be not for yourself and your desires, but for the needs and interests of others. It's not about disrespecting ourselves. It's about respecting others. It's not about putting ourselves down. It's about lifting others up. It's about loving others as Christ has loved you. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to write something that I find surprising. He says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, but much more now in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now wait, is this the same man who proclaimed in his letter to the Romans that a person is justified by faith apart from works? Is he now telling the Philippians that they have to earn their salvation? No, I don't think so. Salvation is always, always the gift of a gracious God. We do not earn it. We receive it through faith in the one who loved us enough to humble himself in obedience to God's will and who lived our life and died our death, even death on a cross. So what is Paul saying? It helps to know that the word your is plural in the Greek. Paul is not talking about individual salvation here. He's talking about the salvation of the community as whole. He's talking about living together in such a way that we build one another up. For he knows that the more we care for one another, the more we live in love, the more we become like Christ. Paul also knows that living together in unity is something that the church can only do imperfectly. And that there will be times when we will have to work out the issues that divide us with fear and trembling. In other words, this is serious business, folks. Paul knows that the unity of the church is important not only for each person within the community, but for the sake of the community itself, for the church itself, and for the sake of our broken, contrary world. You see, Paul knows something that we sometimes forget. 
that being a Christian is about participating in the saving work of Christ. We are called to shine like stars in the world, as Paul writes in the verses after today's passage, demonstrating the love of God to the world through our love for one another. Think about how interconnected our world is today. Getting news is it's instantaneous, and just one tweet, one quote, one video that goes viral in the Internet can have a huge impact. Well, I'm here to tell you that the witness of our common life also has an impact on those around us. When we squabble or complain about weather, when we argue or disagree, that not only affects our relationships with one another, it affects our mission and ministry and the way that people see our faith. Okay, it's important, but still, how do we do this? How do we come to live in unity? Listen, it, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and work for his good pleasure. We do not do this on our own, but by the grace and power of God. God is working on us and in us and through us, and God has shown us the way to live through Jesus Christ who emptied himself of privilege and glory so that in him we might be filled with God's love and in turn let that love spill over into the world. In his sermon on, on working out our own salvation, the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, wrote, God works in you, therefore you can work. Otherwise it would be impossible Therefore, inasmuch as God works in you, you are now able to work out your own salvation. Since he works in you of his own good pleasure without any merit of yours, both to will and to do, it is possible for you to fulfill all righteousness. It is possible to, for you to love God because he had first loved us and to walk in love after the pattern of our great master. We know indeed that word of his to be absolutely true. Without me, you can do nothing. But on, we, on the other hand, we know every believer can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Words we'll hear from Philippians in a couple of weeks. This is good news, folks. It means that even in those moments when we disagree, or when we're upset, or when our need to be right becomes more important than our relationship with each other. God is there for us, helping us to stop and listen, encouraging us to ask for forgiveness and to forgive, teaching us how to pray for each other, and teaching us over and over again to love as Christ loved us, for our sake and for the sake of the world. Praise and thanks be to God for this grace. Alleluia. Amen.